The two Jills, a psychologist and psychic intuitive, reveal mind-blowing insights that turn psychology, self-help, and conscious teachings on their heads. Why? Because they work. Real help, sincere growth is here. Welcome to Sight. Hey, Jill. Hi, Jill. How's it going? Good. How about you? I'm excited about today. I'm psyched. I'm psyched. I am psyched. Um, Today, we're going to talk about anxiety, right? And I think it's a really good topic. It's definitely something very close to my home, my heart, my life. Um, I think, um, I think it's, I think it could be eye-opening, right? To look at anxiety differently. So I'm excited. I'm very excited about it. Me too. And I'll just mention to the, to the audience that hi Samson, that with everything that we're doing in this podcast, we're hoping to offer something unique and a novel way of approaching a topic so that you have an additional perspective to further inspire you and inform you to, to handle maybe challenging situations from a new perspective, because a lot of you are super savvy. You've probably tried everything and maybe it isn't working as well as you want it to. So and I anxiety, like that. And here we come. <laughs> here we go. And I think, you know, just to reinforce that Jill is that I remember one time my husband said to me, I was stressing about life, I guess. And he just said to me very, I, we weren't married at the time, but he said, Jill, don't take yourself so seriously. And I remember at the time that he said it, it literally, my brain just like screeched to a halt. It was like, wait, what? I don't have to do that. Right. So even if we're not offering the answer for you, we are trying to help with the idea that there's, there's more. There are other ways to look at it, not just the way psychology looks at it, not just the way the doctors look at it, not just like, let's, let's really put that in one category and then say to ourselves, if it's not that, mm-hmm. what is it? Exactly. Right? Oh. Yeah, go ahead. The other thing I'll, I'll mention my, um, my, I have an aversion overall, and that's that I don't like it when different schools of thought have this very like, oh, this is what it is. And it's this, they make something into this really neat little ball, and that's what it is, and that's what works. And then you observe, and I know with my client work, I observe, no, that didn't actually work. Thank you, but it didn't work. So the conversation is not over, right? So I keep feeling this desire to take these neat little packaged balls from multiple schools of thought and pry them open and tip them over and really look at it from another perspective. What, what might be, we, what might we be missing here with more curiosity and more open-mindedness and less, um, I think a lot of the way that our brains, especially a professional, the way that the brain works is it doesn't like the idea that it doesn't have the answer. So it oversimplifies a problem it um, oversimplifies the solution, and it, it implies that if somebody isn't getting results from it, then they must be doing it wrong. And, I mean, weight loss is in that category, right? It's just there are so many things that are like, 
I think there's something else going on here. And you and I are willing to, to have that humility of our brain and of our professions and go, I think there's some, there's some other, you know, variables here and maybe some other solutions that we sh could and should be trying. I just want what works. I'm not attached to a philosophy. I just want results for the people that want them. Exactly. And the results, they, they come by opening your brain. So it's, it's the openness that allows for the possibility. So don't even drill down on this conversation, right? Like don't skip to the end of the book. You know, it's the process to open the brain that you and I are doing right now. And just so people can get some context on me personally with anxiety, I started having panic attacks. We didn't know what they were at age seven. I would start hyperventilating in class. I would run out of the classroom. I'd run down to the nurse's office because I couldn't breathe. Nobody knew what this was in 1970. Um, and in somebody so young, right? So it was never diagnosed. All my trips to the emergency room, nothing was ever diagnosed as anxiety until I was 22. Okay, so this is a, a long dealing with something that I didn't know what it was. And the minute, and I've said this on another podcast, but the minute I went to the doctor because I was losing weight and I was just, I was feeling terrible. And he said to me, you don't need me, you need a shrink. And then I'm like, oh, there's something else here. And that's when my brain started to open up to stop looking for physical reasons as to why I wasn't well my whole life. And then that brought psychology. And then in terms of psychology, I got to a point in my life where I'm like, that was great for a certain point, but there's more, right? So I love what you're saying is like, let's not try to find the answer. Let's keep evolving. There's no answer. There's, there's this evolving, well, now I'm here and I'm going to seek, you know, what's ever at this level. And then you get to another level and you seek what's ever at that level. So this mm -hmm. is, this is not an over, the brain cannot oversimplify that it, for, you know, one weight loss program doesn't work for everybody. And even as you get on that weight loss program, you plateau. And that's the same thing that happens here. You're great, you're great, you're great until you're not. And what people tend to do is go backward and fault themselves or feel like their condition got so much worse and now they're unhealable that they don't leave the opportunity for the next growth spurt and the next, you know, sort of exploration. <laughs> and I think that's all really important. Well said. And Jill, I just want to applaud you that I really, I love that. I mean, you have a PhD in psychology and there's this really welcoming humility about you, right? That you don't wear that resume with a sense of I've got all this stuff figured out and I've never dealt with these problems. I just help other people, with these problems, right? With these challenges. I love how open you are about, look, I know this, I know this. It is just, it's another reason. I, I think it's just so beautiful who and what you are. I appreciate that, Jill. I really do. So that's why anxiety, I feel like it's my wheelhouse, not because I've mastered it because you don't need to master it, right? That's mm. what we find. Um, 
so you don't really need to master it. The bottom line for, for me and as we go through this today is you trust yourself to handle whatever comes up. Exactly. That never leaves you on, that just never leaves What is it? Unprepared. It never leaves you unprepared. Yeah, it never leaves you unprepared. And it's, it's a beautiful feeling to say, I got my back. I, I got this. Let's do this. It's a really beautiful feeling. And it's not part of the existing anxiety protocol. The existing anxiety protocol is who is going to help me with me. Right. And it's a very outside in um, kind of approach from them, from getting the diagnosis to telling other people, telling you what's going to heal you. Mm -hmm. And again, these are all what I would consider, you know, their benefits. They get you to a point. That's what's important to notice. But don't be afraid when they stop working because you still have you. Yes. And can we talk about that for a minute? Because I just want to, I have yet to find somebody that experiences any form of anxiety that isn't also very intelligent. Now it may not be classically intelligent, like, you know, straight A student type of intelligent, but let's just put it this way. It takes a very sharp mind and brain to right. be able to overthink a situation which to yeah. me is one of the roots of anxiety is like, oh, it's just the brain is just in hyperdrive about a situation and all the potential dangers. I have yet to find somebody that has that, let's say, ability that isn't also intelligent. Now, is it a misapplication of brain power? It doesn't matter. It's, it's happening. So I love our approach is when that happens, let's have another perspective of what is happening, right? Um, and you were mentioning about the insert. Yeah. Let me, I'm going to hand the baton back over to you in terms of the, the other side of, of shame associated with anxiety. Cause I know you have a lot, a lot to share there. I do. So, so I think one of the things that I say to people when I start working with them is people who have anxiety are the strongest people I know, mm. right? It is so, it takes so much strength to wake up knowing the kind of day you're going to have and how hard it is to get through that day, right? Whereas other people seem to float through their days by comparison. And yet for some reason, society sees people who have anxiety as that there's a weakness there buck up, get over it, whatever it is. Don't be so afraid. What's the matter with you? It's a very um, dismissive viewpoint that we have. We, we have come to the point where we're acknowledging another person's suffering. But many people are like, I don't get why he said, you know, there's just a, a complete lack of understanding to it. So I just want to, forever, who, if anybody's listening to this, who knows somebody who has anxiety, please shift your view about yourself and about other people and really start to look at them and how strong they are to be able to get up every day and go through the day with that kind of just stressed out 
often debilitating um, background noise. Hmm. It's exhausting. Okay, so that's the first thing. That's the first buster right there. See yourself and everybody else who has this as the strongest people you know, not the weakest. Yes. That's number one. So you're going to add to that, please? Yeah. The, I'm going to, and I'll, I'll start teasing it up here. There's a, there's kind of a cosmic, some would say woo woo dimension to this that I also want to add. And that's that there's a, there's a layer of self that is becoming overly preoccupied with a situation or a thought or an experience, something like that. So what I found works well for clients is that there are other ranges of them, other layers of them that are not afraid, that are not overthinking, that are not overly um, exaggerating, possibly the risks of a situation or the potential dangers of a situation. And what I found with my client work is there's there's a big aha moment there because with anxiety, that layer of the brain is getting all of the attention. So it can be incredibly useful that when that's, when that layer of self starts to activate or operate, there is a, there's a curiosity within self, maybe at a wider range of view or in a deeper level of view that says, what part of me is not afraid of this? What layer of me isn't, isn't overthinking this and, and isn't as terrified as, as this version of me, right? And even that can sort of add a smoothness, add a confidence, add a calm sort of effect. Um, The other part that I'll offer here is that with some clients, they say, I'm just afraid all the time. And, uh, And this, again, gets a little bit more on the cosmic side, but this is a scary place. It is. Nobody, nobody gets out of here alive. I mean, that alone on a, on a psyche, you know, subconscious level is like, this is dangerous. It is dangerous. Stuff happens to people with no planning, no warning that they have no control over. And it's like, oh my God, right? So the hyper awareness of that system of fight or flight, and I'll make a joke about that in a second. Um, <clears throat> I'm validating for that layer of them. Okay. Yeah, it is scary. It is scary here, right? And it, it's like acknowledging that this is a high-risk environment. This is a high-risk reality, right? Now, the and I look flight, at it that way, too. Yeah. So the, the thing that I feel a lot of times, I used to feel like I was walking around on candid camera. I'm like, nobody's, nobody's getting this. Nobody's seeing, you know, like what's going on here. So for a long time, I just was like, okay, that's me. But I actually think the people who are kind of okay with everything here, I think that's like a deep form of denial, Mm -hmm. right? I think the rest of us, I think the people who are anxious are like, yeah, I'm seeing things with eyes wide open. That doesn't mean we have to continue in the vein of, you know, it's nice to have eyes wide open and then sort of learn through what we're going to be talking about, how not to be taken down with it. Mm-hmm. That's not what other people are doing. Other people are like, nah, 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 nah. Don't talk to me about the, rat. right? <laughs> Which is different, right? So I want to be informed and effective, right? I don't want to, you know, go back to, to like pretending that stuff isn't, isn't happening. Yeah. Right. Just, it's kind of like, I just want to, 
Go ahead. I want to add a tiny little pin and then I'll hand it right back over. I don't, I would offer that it, it may not be denial for those that, that don't have anxiety. I don't think they see it. So to be in denial, it's, I see it and I'm not going to acknowledge it. I don't think they even think they see the risks, right? Well, there are I think that's get on their, right. There are people that get in their car every day that don't even think about the possibility that somebody could run a red light, that somebody could be around them, that somebody could be high, that somebody could be whatever, you know, drunk or whatever, just not, you know, on their phone. They don't, they're not even aware of that. And then there's some people that think about that a lot. And then there's others. I think, I think I'm in this category. I'm aware of it. And it makes me, it helps me to say, you know, hopefully pay attention more, be an attentive, even proactive driver. Um, but it doesn't prevent me from driving and I enjoy myself while I'm driving. So I think I've created that happy medium with some of these situations, but not with everything. I over-exaggerate the risk of bees. I'll just own that. Go ahead. Now, so what you're saying is really, so this gets into how the brain functions, right? You can have all those same thoughts without fear connected to them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You keep your very wide, perceptive self. But because of the way the brain has been programmed, fear is attached to all those things, and it's the first thing out of the gate. That doesn't have to be. That is pure programming, and there can be a decoupling of situations that are concerning or could be a concern without the concomitant fear that then makes you have to either avoid or ruminate or tell your children don't walk in the street and everybody should, you know, micromanage situations, right? So so in terms of, you know, the second myth that I talk to people about is that there's something wrong with their brain. Anxiety is this idea that chemically there's an imbalance or whatever that is. Um, it's a very chicken or egg kind of thing. Okay, but somewhere along the line, it doesn't matter where in your being raised and reared and enculturated, your brain has attached, you know, normal everyday circumstances, it's attached fear to them. And as you as you think fearful thoughts, even if you don't have a fearful experience, so let's say you're, you're a child and you're told not to walk in the street. And to a child, not walking in the street means kind of, it's black and white, never walking in the street, right? So even when they're walking in the street and an adult is with them in the street, there, is, there could be fear just about being in the street because it was, they were told it's fearful to be in the street. So then what happens is the brain develops this, even if you have no bad event, Every time you go into this to the street and you have that thought connected with that fear, your brain is noting it. Hmm. So these are innocuous situations. It happens to all of us. They are reinforced without our awareness. Even if nothing traumatic or terrible happens, there's your reinforcement. Then you wake up one day and you're like, I am definitely afraid of roads. I don't want to drive. I'm not going over bridges. I don't want my kids in the road. I'm not teaching them how to drive. You, you start, mm. but if you don't understand the inception of that is just a well-functioning brain. The more you do something, the more it does it for you. Okay. That's programming. 
question? I, I'm starting <laughs> to wonder if there are some individuals that, and I don't want to make it in, you know, in too dualistic here, but because when, I mean, I didn't have that response. I mean, I'm sure my parents told me not to walk in the street, but there wasn't a, um, there wasn't a fear-based thing or, or even worry-based thing about that. I think, I think in some ways what I'm wondering is if some people have some sort of an interesting baseline of, I think I'm going to be okay. And other people may have a different baseline of, oh my God, I might die. Oh my God, this could be another thing that kills me. Right. Again, I don't, I don't really care about the difference in the baseline. (laughs) Right. My, my thing is, it doesn't have to be that way. I don't know how it got that way. And I don't really care yes. about it. So oh, no, thank you. I, would, I, I did want to reiterate that you said it doesn't, you know, this could come from programming and it doesn't matter where, because I'm, I'm not, exactly. that wasn't the point of, that wasn't the point of my comment. My comment was that there were some statements I heard you say that may make some people feel like, oh, that wasn't, she's not identifying me. And she just said everybody did that. So I just wanted to identify that some people yeah. do have that nature and Jill, some people don't, I don't. Right. I have my my momentary things, but some of this, like everybody has this. I don't think everybody does. No, I I mean, everybody's brain programs. Right. Yeah. They don't only program with fear. I'm really just talking about the functioning of the brain. Okay. Is anything you do more than once, the brain okay. will say okay. they want to do that. I'm going to make it easier for them. So even driving a car, as an example. Yes. Right now, the automation, the automation, what happens when things get automated? That's what a subconscious is. It's everything that your brain has automated for you. Hmm. It's not a deep, dark secret that you have to unfurl with a therapist. It's Hmm. that, oh, that became an automation. That's it. I hear us both not wanting to go into store, not, we're really discouraging people from going into the stories of why, because I mean, in my opinion, it doesn't go anywhere helpful and it actually can cause more problems if you start to pretend, you know, why something is, is a certain way. So, but I, I love what you're talking about here in terms of there, there are reasons why there's programming, there's brain automating things and the brain may be automating panic. (laughs) It does. It, It does automate panic for, for sure. And the thing about it, the reason why it becomes, you know, snowballed over time is because the more the brain does it, the brain generalizes, right? Mm -hmm. So the brain's like, okay, the street looks like the sidewalk. Now I'm afraid of the sidewalk too. It it sort Mm -hmm. of makes things, you know, it assimilates things and generalizes. So it seems like your anxiety is getting worse. It's Mm -hmm. really, again a very well-functioning brain using its context to say A looks like B, run program. Hmm. Okay, so whereas before you only ran it in the road, now you're running it when other people are on the road. You're it just It just keeps doing that. The brain never stops doing that. So as you get older, and this is why they say if you don't attend to it young, you're, it's just going to keep getting worse. It's not technically getting worse. It's getting wider. It's getting more responsive. It's getting more inclusive. But all of that, again, is a well-functioning brain. 
nothing wrong with your brain. I think that's hugely important to understand. You're not trying to fix your brain. You're trying to, at least I want to help people understand what their brain is doing, how it is actually streamlining life for them. But if you're streamlining life and part of life has a fear of a fear program running, that's mm -hmm. not something that you want to continue to streamline. But you can't stop it unless you know and start watching what your brain is actually doing. That's great. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There, there are so many, um, I want to say, hacks or disruptors to the way the brain does that. I, I just want to give an example. For me, I'm not anxious. I'm not, I don't think I'm anxious about flying but there was an era of my Jill that there would be that moment on the plane where I'd go, oh my God, we could all die. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've seen a few too many movies of plane crashes and news and those types of things. So it wasn't enough to, I never, I never don't fly because of that, but it's enough where there was a moment that regularly happened when I, especially in the first moments of a flight. And for some reason, for me, there was just this maybe transcendent idea of, can I imagine myself landing safely and everybody else landing safely too? And that question allowed me to go, yeah, I actually can imagine that. For me, that was a disruptor to perhaps the spiraling energy that would have been unnecessary because I'm still here to tell the story, right? So I think there are little kind of hack moves or disruptor moves that people can try out. And for me, asking myself a very curious question Un unwraps me from the thought of, oh my God. And I think for me, that anxiety vibration has an essence of, oh no, or oh my God, or something akin to that. I think one of the things that, you know, that maybe you were hitting on before when you were saying, I don't have that kind of propensity. There is, there is something about the brain body connection, right? Where it's so fast for some people that it gets into the body before they even know what's happening. Oh, wow. Right? So once it's in the body and it's so fast like that, thought precedes emotion, which precedes action. Hmm. Okay. But most people don't hear, or at least people with anxiety don't get the thought they feel triggered in the body almost immediately. Once it's in the body, it's very hard to back that up, even with a brain-busting thought, because it's, it's almost too far gone in a lot of ways, right? So the, the experience of knowing, if you're, if you're that type of anxiety person where you're just in it where everything happens all at once, where your thought, you don't even know your emotion and you're hyperventilating in like, you know, from zero to five seconds, you're far gone. That's okay. You can still come back off of this, but learning about the brain has to happen first in moments when, when you're calm, it's like education. You don't learn anything. Well, actually you don't learn anything when you're stressed out, the only thing you can do is repeat what you've already done, hmm. right? So the first step is brain education. Yeah. But then we, for sure. I think we did that well in episode one, right? With how the brain works. I think we did that in episode one, but 
Um, yeah, I no love that episode that we did on how, how your brain works. And I, I know I remember I, my favorite point about it from in my work with people is that you got to slow your thoughts down in order to be able to see them. So is it, do you agree that we can refer some people to the, to that episode? But I think, you know, so as not to, I am referring, I am talking to people now who feel like their anxiety is, is out of their control. Debilitating. So that's my, that's my target who I'm speaking to right now. And I love it because you're speaking to people who are like, you know, they got it, but there's still a sense that there's, you know, that they're, that they're in the game a little bit. Right. So I think. I'm, I think I'm speaking to people who are, to your point, who have tried everything, right? And they don't, once their thoughts are going, there's no backing up that bus. Yeah. Okay. So, so I think I will say the flying is a really good space for a while. I, I did this thing where I called it trigger happy, where I wanted to do things or be in places that would set off my programming so I could watch my brain. Oh, wow. That's badass. So I would get on flights and I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to get on this flight. Now, what are the thoughts I'm bringing to this flight? And I would, I would hear, I hate flying. I can't wait till this is over. I'd rather not be doing this. Right. So I called that my baggage that I was dragging onto the plane with me. And then just very logically, I was like, well, how do I think that's going to go? Right. How do I think it's going to go? If I'm like, I hate this. I can't wait till it's over. I'd rather have my teeth removed. Like, what do you think is actually going to happen on the flight? Right. So that was, I realized that I was bringing this with me every time I flew. So one day I got on a plane it was actually a helicopter and I'll put this in the blogs too, but I got on a helicopter and I saw the baggage and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to leave the baggage outside the plane. And then I got on and the minute I got on, everything was different because I, re- I never got on a plane without those thoughts. I'd never done it. So everything just started to be new. And I I was able to, I had to meditate for about 45 minutes. And I tell you this all the time. I was listening to one of our sessions that helped me. The energy of it helped me meditate into this very calm state. And then I was able to slow down the thought, the emotion, and the reaction enough that this is what it looked like. Every bump, noise, whatever, my brain was hypervigilant. It was looking for in the brain's mind what was wrong so it could run the fear program, Mm -hmm. right? But what ended up happening because I slowed myself down so much because I didn't bring that thought on the plane and basically that thought primed the pump for the program, I was able to see it was almost like a little birdie was flying around with a fear sticky note and then there'd be like, a bump or something, and it was trying to stick the note on the bump. Fear, 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 fear. It was just trying to tag everything that was happening with a fear thing. It was trying to set off this program. It was so interesting to watch, but it never got any traction because I could see it. 
like the hand was in the cookie jar. And then while I'm in that state and I'm watching my brain try to attach fear to every noise and bump, the, the helicopter went on its side and then flipped back up. I had zero physical reaction. In the past, I think I would have opened the door and jumped out just from, you know, like sheer panic. You don't know what to do. Let's jump out. But this time I had no physical reaction and my husband freaked out. He is never, he never freaks out. He is always calm. He doesn't give a shit about flying. And he's like, what the fuck? It turns out that we had to go on our side to avoid birds, which I didn't see. And then it righted itself. But in that moment, and this is a big moment, that's when I realized anxiety was healable. Not manageable, healable. Because I had no physical reaction at all. Never came out of the gate. And that was brand new. So you that were calm. You were I present was. in yourself. You could have freaked out your husband who flies all the time. It doesn't, isn't, doesn't have anxiety about it. He freaked out. I think most people would, and you didn't. What an amazing like test case, right? It was amazing. It blew. And that was, is really why I do what I do mm-hmm. because that was never something anybody told me was possible. I almost want to cry that, that, that changed everything. That's what made me hang up, for lack of a better word, the psychology degree, because I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Coping, managing, no, 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 no. I'm going for healing. That was never an option. Anxiety, according to what we have going on here, is not healable. You have it. You will always have it. You need to figure out how to cope with it. That's the best you can do. And I, I highly contest that. I love it. And Jill, if I, if I kind of re kind of almost like add a a summary note to what you're saying and correct me if I'm not, if I'm not hearing it correctly, but I feel like what you're saying. And I, I think what I would say too, is that we're not going to, we can't eliminate the things to be anxious about. There will always be things that are that are a bit freaky, a bit scary, a bit like, oh God, you know what I mean? It's about your reaction to it and that you there are choices and that sometimes we're not aware of those choices. And when we slow our systems down, in your case, being very prepared and experimental, right? Of well, what if I try this? Does that work? What if I try that? And then just observing yourself, how do I feel right now? And then noticing that, oh, I, I notice I, I hear that and I a version of me could get freaked out about that. Am I freaked out about that? No, I'm good, right? That's, this is amazing. This, yeah. I think there's so much reason to be hopeful for anybody that oh, has God. any degree wow. of any degree or type of anxiety. Um, I think there's so many reasons to be optimistic that this is something that you can play with and experiment with. To, to see what works better for you. Um, by the way, I think no matter what end of the spectrum, I think everybody is afraid of something. And I remember I was in this uh, very kind of traditional conventional church group at one point, 
And there was somebody that somebody had a speaking engagement and one of the women was saying, oh, I got to I got to do the speech and I'm so scared. And there was this woman, she had quite a bravado about it. And she was like, I don't know why you're afraid to talk. I don't know why you're afraid to do that public speaking thing. I'm not afraid to publicly speak. And not even 10 minutes later, she was talking about how she had to go to the doctor earlier that morning and they had to take blood. And she was like, of course I passed out because needles are terrifying. And I was, I didn't say anything because I didn't know her well, but I just, her name was Mel. And I just thought that was so interesting that for some of us that don't have a certain category of fear, there can be a part of us that is discompassionate and, and not, and not understanding of somebody else's thing, but all of us have something. All of us or have something. All fears make sense to us. Yes, but I'm just talking about the, the I, I'm begging for compassion, you know, and more kind of compassion for people and more humility, right? That now, now that I'm more aware of, oh yeah, I, this is my thing or that's my thing, right? And it's still there. If there's wasps and shit flying around, I will be the one that's like, oh my God, what's going on? And you can always tell who's afraid of the wasps or yeah. the yellow jackets, but sitting outside on the, you know, June afternoon, right? Some people are just like, you know, what's the problem? And others are supposed to be like, <laughs> so yeah. some anxieties are impossible to hide, right? But I just, I think we can all be more compassionate that we all have something that is our kryptonite. And I don't, I don't think that that's, a flaw, like you were saying before, it's just something in us that has it. I will add a little cosmic thing though. Um, I, I don't think it's helpful when some people try to add up in, in the new age kind of world, a past life component to it. Well, I've always been afraid of water. I drowned in another lifetime. I'm like, you don't know that you have no proof to, you have no evidence to the fact that you, that you are afraid of drowning because you drowned in a lifetime. Just Say that you're afraid of water. Admit to yourself you don't you don't feel safe in water, and that can be enough. Because here's the thing: before we incarnate, we have tons of opportunity to research and like, okay, what could what could be dangerous in this lifetime? Some of us do a lot of research. We do a lot of homework before we incarnate. So there can be things that we are overly aware of in terms of the risks and dangers that have nothing to do with any other lifetime. So I just want to give a little freedom from that that loop too. I like that. I think there's another piece also when you're looking about when you're when you're thinking about the brain, okay? The things because I was talking before about how anxiety seems to widen, there is a component of the brain and look, I I mean, for me fear is something we all have. I think that's kind of what you're saying. It lands on different things, right? So fear is in, it's an energy, it's out there. We're all afraid of something, but I, I almost back it up a little bit in, in service of what I, what I do to kind of say, I started to understand for myself that I wasn't actually afraid of planes. I had fear. When when I had fear, and maybe I was on a plane, and my fear came to the forefront. But technically, in my mind, I'm not afraid of flying. The brain said, you're afraid, and it looked outside and it said, what is it? It must be that. So I think the brain's attribution has us fearing the outside quite a bit 
to the detriment of us trusting ourselves when in fact, if we just said we have fear and it's not specific to any one thing and stop telling our brain when you end up in a situation, you start to sweat and you're, you're hyperventilating, don't look around and ask the brain why, what's causing it? Because it may be that you're sitting in a room with a bunch of people and then you label yourself an agoraphobic. Or it may be that you're on a plane and then you cease to go places because you determine that it's the plane. Or it may be a doctor's office, you know, so you decide, well, I'm clearly afraid of doctors. I'm never going to a doctor. So you kind of, in a way, we have to take it in, as I like to say, and not make it about our external environment. Because once we do that, we become victims of those circumstances. We can't do anything but avoid them. That's right. right? My concern right. with clients is when, oh, sorry. Um, my concern with clients is when it becomes debilitating to their everyday life, right? That's when it's like, okay, because I want to I want to figure out the degree of severity, right? Is this preventing yes. you from enjoying your life, um, enjoying travel if it's related to flying? Um, enjoying being out in the world socially. Um, there's just so many things to be afraid of and, and there are levels to this in terms of how debilitating it is. I do think it's super helpful for people to be honest with themselves about how debilitating in your, in your words, in terms of as we age, especially, and as we get more experience in the world and just life experiences in general, how, how much is your anxiety hindering your freedom to be you in your life and in this world. And that way you can possibly be more humbled in a, in a good way in terms of like, yeah, I don't want to be like this anymore. Right. And that you do have a choice in, in how you operate. And that's what, that's what we're talking about. Jill is there are off ramps to anxiety. There are, um, there are methods and methods and awareness of the way the brain works and, not about history and where it went from and going yeah. back to, a, you yeah. know, and an original trauma fear thing. Yeah. That's not what we're doing. We're kind of anti that in a lot of ways. I don't think that's working. And that has been the yeah. standard, right? Oh, yeah, I've done everything related to anxiety. I guess I just have to live with this. No, you don't. It's that what you tried didn't work. Let's keep going. Let's keep trying other things because you're worth it. Your life is worth it. And so I do, there were things, there were a lot of things that I did to, to as you describe as off ramps, right? So there are things that we are not aware of that continue to reinforce the narrative and hence the feeling and experience of anxiety, right? So constantly saying, I have anxiety, I am anxious. Those types of things just reinforce the program. They just do. Comparing yourself to other people. They look okay. I'm not okay. If you're doing constant comparison all day long, each comparison reinforces the narrative. These are little things that we do all day long that reinforce the narrative. That is why it's sticky. Not because of a lack of will not because of a lack of trying. It's a lack of understanding about what's reinforcing the narrative, right? So comparison is a no. Judgment is a no. 
saying and even owning it in a lot of ways for me is no. I don't say I'm an anxious person. I say, oh, my, I'm fine. My brain's running an anxiety program. So I put distance between having it be a, an internal identity, characterological, something about me thing, and just say, oh, I'm fine. My brain's running a program. The program has a thought. It has an emotion. That's why my heart's going crazy. And I'm probably going to throw myself underneath this table, and, you know, and just hide there until this plays out, right? So it's this decaffecting um, de process. The whole thing I do is decaffecting. Another thing that I do. What is, is that word, Joe? Can you repeat that? Deco, what is it? Decaffect. It's like okay. separating the emotion from the thought, right? So it's okay. almost like pulling the, it's pulling the fang, you know, out of the, you know, out of the, the venom, out of the snake's mouth kind of thing. And it's decaffect? So, decaffect. Defect. Okay, so it's effect with a D E C in front no, of it. Effect. C A T H E. Okay. Cathect. Thank you. Um. So another thing that I do to st stall the brain program, like you were talking about earlier, is just I call it get stupid. <laughs> and we talked about smart people tend to not. I don't want to even say smart people. People with fast brains tend to, not all people who have fast brains have anxiety, but a lot of people who have anxiety have fast brains, right? Because the brain actually runs faster and faster and faster and faster and faster as these programs get reinforced over the years, right? So when getting stupid to me was, I used it everywhere. Um, it was basically, <laughs> I don't know what that is. You know, I, if something would happen or if I was looking at something or let, let's say for me, hypochond hypochondria was a big part. So I'd have a pain in my leg. Who knows? For me, it was cancer. I'm going to die. Nothing little happened to me. It was always, it was a paper cut. It's, I have MRSA. I mean, it was always an extreme version of whatever it was. My brain still does that. I just don't listen to it anymore. But Back in the day when I was ruminating about these things and thinking about my MRSA paper cut over and over and over again, I would bring into this idea there are infinite possibilities of what that is. I am not a doctor. My brain is queuing up one possibility and it is trying to kill me. I always say my brain was trying to kill me. And so I would be like, I don't know what that is. Every time my brain went back, I'd be like, I don't know what that is. And my brain would go back. 50 times, 60 times a minute. So it would take me saying each time I'd have to do it. So in the beginning, when you do this with the brain, it's not a one and done because as, rep as repetitive as the brain is, it's a dog with a bone. You have to be just as vigilant in your antidote. So when you get stupid, it's not a one and done. It's probably 50 times a second. Each time the thought appears, each time you catch it, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. And then it actually went far into my life because it was useful in other places where people would be like, Jill, where is this? I don't know. Where, how, do, how do I do this? I don't know. Yeah. And it empowered everybody in my life 
when I just back the fuck up, basically. This I love, and I like your term to get stupid in a way, because obviously I know you as very intelligent, but you're right, because that anxiety has, it has an, an arrogance, a superiority of, I know exactly what that bump on the plane means. I know exactly what that pain in my knee is and what yes. that paper cut looks like. And it's wrong. It's lying oh, it's to self, wrong. right? It's lying. Cause I mean, so when you call the bullshit on it, of, well, I'm not a doctor, so I, I have no idea whether it's more so there's been no lab tests, right? So when you call bullshit on your brain, I guess is another way of looking at the strategy of, well, I'm not, I'm not an aerospace engineer. I don't know what that knock on the plane meant. I'm not a pilot. I don't know what, you know, what, why they're, why two people are looking at the, the fan, you know, the blade things that are going around before we're taking off. I don't know the, I don't know the proper application of a de-icing machine. <laughs> You're just thinking of all the, of all the ways the brain can pretend it's an expert. And if it's wrapped in with anxiety, pretend that that means instant death. <laughs> and what we have to understand is all that shit we make up reinforces the program, which mm. makes it faster, smarter, stronger. Yeah. So even if all that shit we make up, none of it comes to fruition, we have enhanced our anxiety program a mm. millionfold. You've strengthened your bullshit of the anxiety. Even the bullshit strengthens the anxiety. Yeah. So this is, this is what people don't get. They can't understand why it's intractable. It makes perfect sense why it's intractable, not because it's hard to deal with, but because we're actually shooting ourselves in the foot 50 times a day, hmm. right? Without understanding that that's how the brain works. The brain does that for, so you can get through life easily. It doesn't mm -hmm. care if it's anxiety or, you know, driving a car, like, you know, mm -hmm. whatever you do over and over and over again, the brain gets very good at, takes it out of your awareness, automates it and goes. That's what the, it triggers. The other part of your strategy that I want to amplify here is you, you instigated, you created an environment separate from whatever the anxiety was rooted in to face face it and test drive kind of a, a system. And I love that idea because I, I mean, I know people that are incredibly anxious about, you know, driving on the freeway or something like that. So their answer is they never drive on the freeway. Right. Yes. And I mean, that is one approach, but what if there are other ways to go about this? Um, so I love your idea of um, your strategy of, okay, what am I, when am I calm? And kind of when can I kind of run a, do a trial run of this? And then when you got on the helicopter and told me it worked. So then, so what I do is when I get trigger happy, I call it, I don't even wait for me to be calm. I just, for a long time, whenever anxiety would, you know, when the train had left the station and I was sort of knee deep in a panic attack, I would actually just start saying thank you because mm. it was showing me something that I couldn't see if it wasn't expressing, right? I can't see my unconscious unless it, it's brought to the surface. Can you give an example of that? Is that like if there's a knock on the plane um, that you're like, oh, thank you, I do hear that knock? No, I'm saying when I'm like, flat out on the floor, like I would go on planes and I would just, just start screaming. Like the, the, 
you know, mm-hmm. you'd get that air pocket mm-hmm. and I would just scream. I'm with my kids. I'm, I'm like a lunatic. And, um, but I started, what I did was I made the decision. This isn't about me being a lunatic on an airplane. I made the decision to look for triggers because what you were saying before, people are like, oh, I'll just avoid planes. And then I don't, I mean, I'll just avoid bridges and I don't have a problem. That's not correct. Mm. The program will look for another way to manifest itself. Plus it keeps it very much alive in the subconscious. Okay. So just because you're not doing something doesn't mean that it's not working in behind the scenes. So it's not a functional um, healing mechanism or coping mechanism even to avoid, right, where you're going. So I decided, well, if you can't avoid something, then you have to flip the switch on it and actively, because we're all like, I don't want to be triggered. I don't want to be triggered. I don't want to be triggered. Mm -hmm. And then you're a victim. So I decided, I'm like, you know what? I want to be triggered. I'm going to go look for them. I'm going to come to you. Not going to wait for you to come to me. And I turned this passive stance of fear and waiting and hoping it never happened into this active stance of looking. That changed a lot, right? Just going from passive to active changed a lot. And then if I would be in a situation where I was super fearful, I would just be like, okay, this is what I wanted. Let's watch the brain. And I could watch the brain while I was still having a panic attack. Right? Like you can do that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether you're having it or not. In the beginning, you're not trying to stave it off. You can't. The program is, is stronger than that. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's just a matter of, okay, I didn't catch the thought. Definitely caught the emotion, Mm -hmm. right? Definitely caught the physical aspects of it. You know, now I know the the behavior is going to soon happen, whatever I choose to do, whether I run away or I cry, whatever. Um, and so it's an interesting, you know, that, that flipping, though, is the choice you have to make first. You can't just say thank you for something that you feel very, um, you know, like abused by, right? <laughs> so, and honestly, another thing, though, that made me think of, it did get to the point where I fly now, no problem. I don't think about it. I don't have any, I don't have any issues. Awesome. Um, I still have medical things, but I'm much better at being like, I don't know what this is and I will go to doctors and things like that. But I remember one time I was on a plane and I was, it was definitely a transcended state that I got myself to. There was turbulence. And I remember saying, I don't know what this is. And I said, you know what? I always approach turbulence with fear, but there is a way to approach turbulence without fear, right? Similar what I did on the helicopter. And I'm like, so if this isn't fear, what is it? Mm-hmm. And I just closed my eyes and I kind of rolled with the bumps. It felt very much like being in a car, but then it kind of felt a little amusement parky, right? And it just started to... I don't know. And I got to this definitely transcended place where, and the brain does this a lot. It tests if you're okay. Um, (laughs) And it'll bring up some really scary, shitty thought. And I had the thought like I could go down with this plane and it had nothing. 
did nothing. <sighs> so, and I had that thought frequently on plans and it doesn't do anything to me. It's not, interestingly, it's not a fearful thought. It's just a neutral thought that I, and it doesn't become fearful until I bring the fear to it. They're not together anymore. <laughs> and I'm not putting them together. Right. So That's there true. is a way to do that, to decouple, right? So every thought is neutral until you bring your programming to it or have it subsumed in your programming. But fear does never has to come out of the gate first. And in fact, when it stops to com coming out of the gate, which is what you were alluding to before, then you're online. Mm -hmm. And you can be in that moment in whatever way you want to be. And if you choose to be fearful, like sometimes I choose it. But it doesn't take me over. I can't describe right. it. It's an isolated incident, not a, not a constantly repetitive, you know, thing that's got, you know, the tail wagging the dog. Beautiful. Uh, so what I'm, what I'm hearing and not to necessarily summarize yet, although we are starting to get back to, down to that hour, but I heard you say that it's important to understand how, what the brain is doing and the brain's role in anxiety so that you can have that awareness the next time it does happen, you can actually pre-set pre up that type of situation that causes anxiety to experiment and um, notice your thoughts, notice that you're, you have choices, I apologize. Notice that you have choices in how much emotion are you attaching to the thoughts that are operating there, there you can slow that process down so that it's not automatic. Um, you're more than your fears. You're more than pains. We are, there's a lot to us and it's more than that. But when we're in an anxious moment, that fear can feel like the only thing going on. And that's not true. Um, our brains lie to us. Our attachment to stories about why we have certain fears and anxieties is not helpful. And it could actually make things worse and debilitate us from um, creating a version of ourselves that can respond to those situations and those thoughts and experiences more empowered with more choices and more freedom and options for being a version of ourselves that we like better in those moments. And that there is yeah. very good reason to be hopeful for anyone that has any degree of anxiety. And then I hope another takeaway is to be more compassionate towards people that have this. Um, even if it's a child, one of my kids is major arachnophobic um, and it's, I'm trying not to cater to it and enable that, that anxiety and fear, but I'm respectful of it because I know I have my, um, sometimes silly fears of, you know, wasps or whatever, um, that is exaggerated. So I get it and I want to be compassionate and there for her. Um, so anyway, just well, staying I say, I compassionate as well. Yeah. I wouldn't even call them silly fears. Yeah, that's fair. Everybody's fears. They're exaggerated though. It's exaggerated. Look, all fear, I will say, is, um, do I want to say all fear? I kind of do. It, even though it makes sense to us, all fear is irrational. 
And I say that because when we are in a fear mode and a program, a fear program is running, we, we don't operate well. Fight or flight is not a, a well-functioning, it's reactive, but it is not thoughtful. Mm-mm. And when we're not in fight or flight, which is a, just a reactive knee-jerk program, when we're not in it, we have so many more problem-solving capabilities, so mm-hmm. many more choices, even in extreme experiences mm-hmm. right so we can be in something terrible but if we let fear just react with a fight or flight we we're killing ourselves yes i i also and this was the humorous part i went out earlier but i was i I, I, I like to add humor into any kind of serious conversation where, where it's appropriate. And there was a client that was describing her anxiety and she was saying, I'm always in fight or flight mode. And I was like, actually, are you in fight or flight mode or are you only fleeing? Do you ever get to the fight stage? And it was so cute because it's a Zoom call. And she kind of thought for a minute. She said, no, I never fight it. You're right. I'm just always running away from it. I'm like, well, then it's not fight or flight. It's just flight, right? And she said, yes. <laughs> so it was just, it was kind of fun to be real with it that, okay, so yes, we have these, you know, terms that we use, but it isn't even that. But yeah, but I, I'm okay saying that some of my fears are silly because I think they are silly. And I'm not being self-deprecating. I just know that I have, to me, it's exaggerated, Jill. So I recognize to some people that they may get defensive if I say a fear of mine is silly and that some people think my daughter's fear of spiders is silly. That is some people's reaction. And I, I, there's a part of me that knows that I don't have to react the way that I do. I don't have to feel the way that I, I do sometimes when you know the yellow jackets are really trying to take over the lunch outside. Um, anyway, and I've never been stung by one. (laughs) Well, see, it doesn't matter because your program is being reinforced each time you see one. That's exactly what I was talking about. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So it's even in the absence of anything negative happening, the program is reinforced. If I, that is the hugest takeaway from this because it doesn't pay to, yeah, that, that's just a huge takeaway. That's just what I'm gonna say. The other huge takeaways I hope people hear on this is that there is nothing wrong with you. I cannot say this enough. There is nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with your kid. There is nothing wrong. That alone, if you feel into that, just sit with that. Don't think about it. Sit with it. That alone should have such a physical relief. You should feel that in your body like nothing else. If you're in the anxiety world, whether you're dealing with it yourself or a kid or anybody, that should put you at some phenomenal point of ease. And just keep referencing that all the time because there is nothing wrong with you. There is a well-functioning brain behind all of this, a really well-functioning brain. And it's us 
And our failure to be taught what the brain does, how it works, what it's there for, when to use it, how to shut it down, right? There is, a, there is an operating manual here that we did not get the memo on. And that's what I learned post-PhD by my own, to your point, trial and error. And the motivator for me was that I saw my kids starting to have anxiety. And I knew that if I didn't heal this, mm-hmm. they, had, they had nobody to show them the way. Mm-hmm. Right? So what you see outside, you heal within. Don't focus on someone else's anxiety. Find your anxieties. Mm-hmm. Find the silly ones. Find the ones you avoid. Find the ones that you don't fess up to. And go trigger happy on it and figure it out. And you will go very far just with this conversation alone. Um, don't stop taking your medication. Don't do anything against doctor's advice. Mm-hmm. Talk to this about your doctor. I don't, I don't even know, like all those caveats and you know, whatever apply. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not in place of any of that. This is, this is a, just a, hopefully a new way of looking at something that, as Jill said, has just become a very fixed and not that great um, definition, label, and you know, sort of um, working. Uh, what would I say? A coping, you know, this coping strategy is just. Personally, I call it a death sentence. You know, somebody telling me in their office that I'm going to have this for the rest of my life, and the best that I could do is cope with it. I was like. That's the suckiest thing I think I, I could ever hear. Yeah. And I reject it. There's just so much that all of us bring to, I mean, we, we are the, we are, we, in our life, if we want enjoyment in our life, that's our opportunity and anything that we allow to get in the way of us feeling um, authoritative of us feeling like, okay, I'm okay, <laughs> right? I'm okay, there's nothing wrong with me. Um, that we give ourselves more of that empowerment to really keep creating layers of ourselves that can be an even better version of ourselves so that we can enjoy ourselves more and our lives more, and so can other people. So I feel like it's a win-win situation because we give ourselves an incredible gift and we give the people in our lives an incredible gift. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I will also add, because you, you've talked about the people in your lives. I used to ask parents a lot when um, their kids had anxiety, um, were running anxiety programs. Mm-hmm. I used to ask parents, do you believe they could heal? And a lot of times parents would say, I don't know. I never thought about it. That's a problem. The brain can't get to what is not teed up for it, right? The brain is not producing opportunities. We are. If you don't insert a possibility of healing, the brain has no access to it. So that's really, really important, you know, as an offshoot of what you were just saying. So put healing back on the menu and start to get behind it. Reference our beliefs, talk, 
you know, that we did the podcast that we did a while back. Um, because believing is seeing. If you don't have that, the brain can't pick it up. And I would say don't leave out the compassion. I, that, the layers of my Jill that do get afraid of things, I, I love logic and reason. I love the, the logical kind of like, is that true? You know, that kind of thing. I'm not an expert, um, but I also love the ability to give myself that compassion and love that part of me is terrified about something. And I don't, I don't want to lock her away and pretend that she doesn't have something that she's noticing or that she's afraid of. Like you said, thanking, thanking yourself, thanking that, thanking that part of you. So Anyway, I love, I feel like we came at this, the topic of anxiety, which is a, a big and becoming more um, mainstream topic for a lot of people. People that didn't know themselves as anxious people are suddenly realizing like, oh my God, I have major anxiety now that I didn't have before. Um, it's so, it's so valid. There are so many risks. This is a very risky world. Um, anyway, so acknowledging that, give yourself the compassion, trying out some of the strategies that we talked about today and not giving up, um, on yourself and giving yourself that, that opportunity to recreate yourself in those moments that tend to be triggering. Yeah. It's a wrap. I think we did it. I mean, it's done. <laughs> and our I'm closing. Back to this. We'll be coming back to this topic a lot. You know, this is definitely something I like to talk about. And I think, you know, there's, there's just a thread of it through everything that we do. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I feel like this was we, we, complete. We said I think it was pretty yeah, holistic. I, feel, and like I feel like it was, I feel like it was really additive to the, probably the, the bulk of wisdom that's probably out there. And I, I hope there was at least one and hopefully many things that that anyone that knows somebody that faces anxiety or somebody that is experiencing anxiety in any flavor has some great tips today. So anyway, you guys can catch more at psyched.wtf. Um, you can interact with Jill and I both there. Um, there's blog posts that she and I both have there um, on the topic of, you know, the brain and how it works and um, a more holistic and maybe transcendent view of health and wellness and helping you operate at your best self that you may not have feel like you, you may not feel like you've created that yet. Love it. Love, Love you, Jill. It. Good stuff. Yeah. Really good stuff. Heavy topic, right? Did you feel that too? I know we haven't stopped yet and I'm still recording, but no, there's I a, like did you feel that there was a seriousness to this topic? Like we hadn't, I don't think we'd had before. I, I think there was a passion for me to this topic, you know, that it is, it is very close to home and it feels, and I was nervous about doing it um, because it's so big, you know, and mm. I, I wanted to be able to, you know, be direct with it. And, you know, people I'm sure understand that there's obviously a whole lot more, you know, I've been doing this for a lot of years. So there's, there's a, there are a lot more ways, you know, to, to, to deal with this that I think, yeah. you know, will come out in, in bits and pieces, but I feel like, um, I feel like people don't, people don't appreciate it if, if you don't take this topic very seriously. And I, and I get that. I That's get good. that. I'm it's glad we, I'm glad we have a little bit more time to, to kind of 
think about this and give you the space too for you know what you wanted to include from your life experiences that added so much to this my experiences <laughs> seems to be silly and trivial <laughs> in a way relative no, to that because it i mean you're important. you're showing that you can have things that you are concerned about without you know totally going offline and in a direction that makes you feel like you're you know you're floundering that's right. Right. So there are degrees and there are ways to do it. And, and it's totally possible for That's everybody. Right. That's right. Yes. Now, obviously, we're hoping that these podcasts are adding um, a lot of value or even a, a little to a lot of value in your life. But you guys do reach out to professional. I know a lot of people are really I mean, it's called the self-help movement. And a lot of people are trying to help themselves. But there's nothing in these podcasts that can replicate like time with someone like Jill or time, my sessions. I mean, <laughs> they go so deep. I mean, Jill, when you were referencing that there was a session that, that you had with me that was instrumental in your overcoming and recreating one of your, one of your experiences that that happens all the time. I know for people that both of us work with. Um, mm -hmm. So for people that think, no, I can get it all from a book or podcast. I don't think you can. I think you can get some of it, but if, if you're still kind of like, I don't have it all figured out yet, I think you deserve the personal attention of somebody that's in a professional state. And I, even though I am a psychic intuitive, I'm not a sign that I don't have a PhD in psychology like Jill. I know the results speak for themselves and the help that that offers. And I know that Jill, you've helped so many people in your life. Oh, we both, I mean, look, it's what we do. But I, I think whatever you choose to do, just be discerning. The, nothing in this world can you give yourself over to wholly and just say, heal me. This is, you have got to be in the game and every step of the way. And at some point, the people who you loved and respected and helped you so much, you may hit a limit with them. Be honest with yourself. When you hit that limit, move on. If you're coasting, move on. You know, just be very, very discerning that things are always moving the dial, that you're always moving the dial. Um, and yeah, just just stay, stay present, stay with yourself and, and try new things. Don't give up. Okay, yeah. it's totally tangential here. Are you, in an, are you in a clear chair right now? Yes. It's clear? It's Will you clear. like knock on it? Can I... on it and I was like what the fuck is going on and I was like does she have some cool technique cool like camera trick or something where it's like yeah. making where you're sitting and disappearing and then I was as you're sitting there saying this really profound thing just now I couldn't help but think it's like Wonder Woman in her plane remember yeah. <laughs> Wonder Woman like and she was just all classy in her boots as she kind of yeah. <laughs> speaking of planes <laughs> I had to ask in your in your clear chair. I, just, I love this so chair awesome. because it doesn't it doesn't ruin my feng shui. I love it. I this, I think I have oh my god, I don't know what happened to it, but it's so perfect and it was just it felt very surreal as you had your and then you had your hands like this. I'm like, wait, is her desk invisible to I have no desk. That's why I'm on my chair. I, um, I yeah. love you so much. <laughs>